0: I'm Lisa Bryant, I'm Leanne Gibbs,
1: and I'm Liam McNicholas,
0: and this is The Early Education Show, a fortnightly
2: look at the policy, politics, and practice of Australia's early education sector.
1: This episode, we're taking one of our deep dives into early education policy. There are currently three major reviews being conducted into key parts of Australia's early education sector. Right now, the Universal Access Partnership for Preschool Funding, the National Quality Framework and CEQA itself are all under the microscope. For each of these reviews, we're going to take a step back and look at the history in the background, the context of the current review, and then speculate wildly about what the reviews mean and what could happen. Now, we've each been assigned one of the reviews as homework, and Lisa, you're up first with the universal access funding. Now, this why policy. Why am I
0: always first? Because you
1: actually do the research and the <laughs> homework, the Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I haven't hey,
0: done I much my research, research on this one. <laughs> Well,
1: well that's, that's not a good segue to the next part of my intro, Lisa, which is. Oh, now, this sorry. policy in particular is very complex, Lisa. So, can you start by giving us a history of the funding and how it came about?
0: I uh, certainly can, Liam, because I know this stuff. <laughs> Did you know, before I start, that over 65% of the sector have only worked in the sector for six years? Yes. Of that 65%, (laughs) 45% have only worked in the sector for three years. Mm. So, yeah, give or take, half of the entire sector have only worked here since 2016. Isn't incredible. that amazing? It's Yes, it's quite and critical, don't you think? It is, but it's also critical in, in terms of me giving the history. So I kind of thought, well, how long do I have to give the history for? Six months or so? And then I thought, no, maybe we're looking at those figures, maybe for a little bit longer. So I'll go back to 2006. And what happened in 2006 was that a young, sprightly man called Kevin Rudd decided to read, and I'm sure I've said this in a podcast before because I always think it's quite amazing. On his summer holidays, he took some reading material and one of them was a a book written by James Heckman, who, as we know, is an economist that um, thinks that early childhood is the bee's knees. And he managed to convince young Mr Rudd that that was the case, so young Mr Rudd spoke to his people and people like Jenny Macklin, who already knew that early childhood education care was the bee's knees, says, yeah, of course, so it's the bee's knees. And he said, okay, so let's put it in our policy. So he came up with Kevin 07 and his Kevin 07 plan was a plan to get him elected as Prime Minister. And as part of that plan, he had the funding of early education, or as he called it then, preschool. And it was the policy, you know, that he went into that election was about universal access to early education, which meant that all four-year-olds should get access to 15 hours a week of early education in the year before school, crucially delivered by an early childhood teacher. So he did that, and when he got elected... At the same time as he was elected, there was a Labour politician in every state in New South Wales. So it was very easy for them all to agree on it. So um, there was a thing happening called national partnerships where all the states and territories and the Commonwealth agreed on how to do something. And so one of the national partnerships was the Universal Access National Partnership. And through this national partnership, the federal government gave funding to the state governments to implement um, universal access to preschool education, which meant that, you yeah, 15 hours a week for every child um, in the year before school. And the important part of it was was that they had a different agreement with each state about how that actually put that into place. I won't talk about the New South Wales one because it wasn't a very pretty one, as you can imagine. The other states had much prettier ones and, of course, Victoria had the best one. But all of this happened and then has continued ever since Kevin 07, even after Kevin 07 was no longer, you know, anybody. In fact, long after Julia was someone and long after everyone else was someone, it continued. But... In the last few years, last I think about five years, the federal government has just renewed this funding on an annual basis rather than putting into place another three-year plan or anything like that because they kind of figure that, you know, the states are responsible for education and that um, means preschool education as well, so why should they be putting in the money? So the states responded to all of this by getting a review done, which was done by Deborah Brennan and I'm going to forget who. What oh, other? do put me on the spot. Um, I just remember Deb. Uh, no. Susan. It's,
1: it's too Susan, late at night for this, isn't it? Was it Sue
0: Pascoe? I think so. Um, uh, Sorry if that was you and I forgot your name. And sorry if we've still got it wrong. But anyway, they did... Um, uh, now, I can't remember the name of the report. Lifting the Game.
2: Lifting, Lifting our, our Yeah, game. that was definitely Susan Pascoe and
0: Deb Brennan. Good. <laughs> um, okay, so they wrote the report for the state governments, which basically said that early education was the best thing out and the Commonwealth should fund it. And the Commonwealth, yeah, like really doesn't want to keep funding it because it costs them money and they think it's the state. Stuff And anyway, they're more into childcare because childcare enables them to, um, you know, give care to people to get their mothers into the workforce. And that's what they're really concerned about, not the early education of their youngest citizens. So um, we're left with this impasse. And so at the last budget, they gave yet again another 12 months um uh, funding for uh, the the Universal Access National Partnership, and then suddenly the Education Council said, "Okay, let's have a review of early education." Now I don't sit on the Education Council. I don't know anyone. I don't know the people that do. They're all the Education Ministers from around um, Australia, from each of the states and territories. And from the Commonwealth, so who knows what led to this discussion, whether it was quite an amicable, oh, yes, let's have a review or if it was the state saying we demand a review or the Fed saying you're not getting your money unless we have a review, who quite knows. But anyway, we ended up with um, the review of the Universal Access Agreement. Except interesting that they now call it the Universal Access National Partnership which is slightly different than what it was. That's the UANP. Um,
1: that was a good summary. Yeah, that's say, a you. good
0: summary. So that's what, what led us that's... to the history and the background of it.
1: That's right. And this, out of the three reviews we're discussing, that we're discussing tonight. This one seems to have the biggest. Well, well, uh, pro- that, that's probably not quite fair. But the, at, at the at the moment that you can like people can contribute to this one, you've still got the capacity to contribute to um, by making a submission. Um, this one is definitely probably uh, the reason we put it first. It's probably the one that's that's on the boil at the moment. It is the most, isn't it? And the high stakes, high stakes one. Hey,
2: yeah. Well, they're all high stakes, but you know, it's kind of at the moment, it's it's very high stakes.
1: So, Lisa, you sort of mentioned there that the, the grandmasters of the Education Council, there might be the, the background of how this review came about, is sort of up for question, but I, well, I guess what you're saying is that there, there's definitely some concerns around the, the future of this of this funding, given that the, is it right to say, I guess, probably the federal government and the states and territories are definitely not on the same page about the future of this Look, I think of that's this, this the
0: case. I can't imagine the federal government actually withdrawing from it because... I don't know I just I can't you know maybe I'm being naive but I can't imagine it I can imagine them going into it with much greater controls on what the states and territories use the funding for and I think that's where the contested area is going to be so can I just say that it's um it's got a, responses to the to the review have to be in by the 6th of October. Right, so, this week, basically, that's, Yeah, that's hmm. this week. So, you haven't got much time. So by, the t- I'll just, by the
2: time this is released,
0: you'll have about 10 minutes. Yeah, be... true. But look, I'll just tell you the, the things that I think are really key to it, right? One is um, that oh, one of the ways that you can respond to this is doing an online survey which doesn't take long at all. You know, it's a 10-minute survey and you can just put your things in there. Um, And we will have the link on the show notes so you'll know where to go to. But one of the things that I think is really important to make note of is the importance of retaining the requirement that a preschool program be run by an early childhood teacher In the discussion paper that goes with the review, they've got this horrible statement that says, since every early education program has to have a teacher access to one, you know, we've just taken the requirement that it um, must be delivered by an early childhood teacher as being met. And I don't think that is the case because I think that um, some services meet that requirement through having access via IT. Some services meet that requirement for a teacher by having a director with a degree. And I think it's really important that we continue to insist that the teacher delivering a preschool program has to actually be in front of the children that they're delivering it to.
1: Yeah, and also that the the, the for an early education service uh, with children from birth to five, the tertiary qualified um, teacher may not necessarily be working yeah. with the four-year-olds. There's nothing in the regulations that says they can't work with infants or with toddlers. Um, so that that is yeah. an odd thing to say that basically we'll take that Precisely. as Precisely. So
0: I think you've got to make a noise about that one and explain it. The other thing I think you have to make a noise about in some states, um, not mentioning the one that I live in at all, but you know, in some states is that It doesn't work if the federal government is giving funding for early education and the state government hasn't increased its expenditure on early education since 2006. Um, And, you know, like if you're investing federal funds, the federal government should be able to leverage those funds by insisting that they're at least matched by the state government or preferably you know, the state government contributes more than what they have.
2: Well, that would be a great thing to come out of out of this, wouldn't it, if there, if there were those requirements, because New South Wales has underspent over many, many years and at one stage hadn't even spent the money that was given to them. Precisely,
0: yep. And I think My the point. other thing is just to to push the importance of preschool funding, to push the importance of it being for three-year-olds and four-year-olds like the rest of the world does, and to talk about the importance of investing the same amount as what you know other states, other countries, especially other OECD countries, expend on it. But the other thing that I think is a danger of happening is that long daycare services in some states um, get a proportion of this money because it, you know, it's supposed to be sector blind, you know, no matter what part of the, um, no matter where a child accesses their preschool education, they're still supposed to get money um, or they're still supposed to get funded for it. And I think the danger with that is that what, has happened in some states is that um, for-profit long day care services have been getting the funding without necessarily reducing fees for um, for children in the year before school, etc. So I think it's really important that we look at where should this money go. The other thing I think we need to look at is a bit longer term but it needs to be mentioned in the context of this review is that why have we got this absolutely stupid system of saying we have childcare and then we have early education? Why can't one government, you know, whether it be states and territories or the federal government take over the funding and managing of the whole thing, and we treat it all like the one system rather than two systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be amazing. And I'm sure I've said that before yeah. too. Well,
1: uh, yeah, well, I think preschool funding has been on the agenda for the podcast for quite a while. We've probably gone into uh, detail about it in previous episodes as well, but um, this particular uh, review is one that absolutely people can still contribute to. So if you head to the link that's in the show notes. But yes, I think uh, this will be coming out on a Friday and I think uh, the the uh, the closure for the submissions will be the Monday. So you have a bit of time. What a Sunday, way to spend your yeah, weekend. Yeah, and it's a long weekend in this.
2: New South Wales so you can spend your time.
1: Mm. Oh, no excuse. No excuse. Cup of tea. I, I think the sixth is the, actually uh, the Saturday.
2: I think you're right. Yeah, uh, and the no, Sunday, the, the eighth, oh, what? seventh is Monday. So the sixth so is Sunday.
0: Yeah. So you've got until a twelve midnight on the Sunday night to get your things in. Saturday what kind night of a, is what looking kind good. Of a review group puts that as the closing
2: date. That's ridiculous. Uh, it was probably a, a different year. It's probably on a different year of the calendar and it's it was supposed to be strange. like a Friday or something.
1: Hmm. <laughs> so this one's, or well, the big yeah. call to action is to head off and do that if you get a chance. And like Lisa said, there is a nice sort of simple survey approach, and, and the more views we hear from from uh, advocates and, and educators, the the better. But we're going to turn now to Leanne. So Leanne's going to look at the uh, the National Quality Framework review, which uh, it, it, it sort of has been ongoing for quite a while. Bizarrely, we just haven't got around to covering it yet on the podcast. So we're going to do a sort of very a short whistle stop look at the NQF review. But um, Leanne, yeah. do you want to start by, I guess? Um, one of the things I'm sort of aware, and it's kind of great you gave us that intro, Lisa, about the length of people who've been in the sector, is that the all of the sort of layers of the sector because there's states and territories and federal governments and, and, and historical, you know, different things in play. The the sector is quite complex. I think one of the things we wanted to do with this episode was go back to basics with all three of these things. So, leani happy to give us a really quick summary, Definitely. I guess. You know, the history and background yeah. of the NQF first before we talk yes, about so this. Yes, I'll make it a
2: particular. very speedy run through because I want to talk about the... Um, also about the previous review as well because I think, it. you know, it, I, I don't think we should be nervous about reviews, we should be active in reviews because that's what, you know, regulations and legislation are reviewed. That's what happens in a so in a good place. Be alert, not effect. alarmed. That's right. So um, the National Quality Framework is also part of the National Partnership Agreement and the National Quality Agenda, and it was introduced in 2012. Now, people will probably remember the introduction of the Early Years Learning Framework, if they're one of the certain percentage that um, Lisa spoke of. And that happened in about 2009. And that was obviously a component of the National Quality Framework and the National Quality Standards. I like it that the Early Years Learning Framework was introduced first because I think it gave everybody something really great to link to before the framework um, and the standards were introduced in 2012. And the National Quality Framework was legislated to provide a national approach to quality improvement um, and regulation and assessment for early childhood education and outside school hours care. So they were the two primary objectives of the National Quality Framework. And as people will know, it covers, or well they may, or they may not. It covers the standards, it covers the the regulations, the staffing arrangements, all of the things really that are the the bread and butter of the early childhood education setting and outside school hours care.
0: I really hope people do know that, Leanne. Well, um, let's hope so. I'm sure they do, Lisa.
2: Um cool. Now, The reviews, as I said, reviews of regulation uh, ensure that regulations and legislation are fit for purpose and implemented through best practice regulation. So in uh, the Education Council in 2018 decided that the the, uh, next review would start in 2019 with consultation with the sector. But before I tell you where we're up to, because it's not too late to get involved in this review... Um, is to remind you that we had a review in 2014 and this resulted in a number of changes. But it's possible that people won't remember those because so much happens. And we did have a revised National Quality Standard to improve clarity and concepts. And I thought, Liam, you might be on top of those changes because they would have been introduced to the services that you um, operationally managed can you recall that the concepts that were changed
1: absolutely and i've got to um and mainly because uh for listeners of the podcast who also support us on patreon i've been going through them one at a time for the last year or so so it's been fun to go through the process but absolutely at a service level we had to um go through those processes of from a practical level like readjusting the quality improvement plan that didn't have to be done sort of on the dot but um that was something that would that would need to be done um but yeah absolutely so one of the things and I think we talked about this probably when it happened is my instinct is any sort of streamlining or reducing of the number of the elements so we went from uh from eighteen standards to fifteen and fifty eight elements to forty. My instinct there is you know that's kind of that's a reduction or that's um that's that's not necessarily a good thing i I think I'm now on the side of with it with a couple of exceptions particularly in quality area five relationships with children I actually think the the changes were largely good and there was a good streamlining concepts. There was some in the original NQS that kind of doubled up um, and also weren't necessarily as clear as they as they as they could have been. So I'm I'm generally in in favour of the You're okay. Now that it's
2: settled, you're happy with that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it, absolutely, like if anyone cares, but I'm sure no, see no, has been going few. Important. Liam's on. You Liam's on board. Your
2: opinion matters. <laughs> you matter, Liam. Um, the other things that it, it delivers is <laughs> improved you. oversight of family daycare, better compliance and quality. And anybody who listened to our family daycare episode uh, would have a, a good, strong understanding of that. Uh, the supervisor certificate was also removed with this. Um, Review and, and I think that that was a lot to do with uh, state departments being overwhelmed by the paperwork of supervised certificates. Uh, so they just went, Oh no, we're not going to do that anymore. And that now the autonomy sits with services to decide who is the responsible person. And then the 1 to 15 for outside school hours care was introduced, along with a couple of other small things. The reason why I'm sort of mentioning those is because these are the sorts of things that that happen. They they were not necessarily dramatic and as we can hear Lamb thinks they're okay. So he's in the in the role of sort of working with services and implementing those things. Um, So it's not always something a review isn't something to be feared. However, as I said, it's good to be alert. Um, So now we're up to five years down the track. Can you believe that review was in 2014? Lisa, no, can you, because can
0: you remember it, that? No, because it took so long to bloody go through. Like, well, yeah, it did. But this I can one even... will too. Yes,
2: but my the thing that makes me kind of jars in my head is I remember those consultations, and that does not feel like five years ago. No, so,
0: it does you know. yeah.
2: Um. So this one has started with a terms of reference. Now the terms of reference, we'll include that in the show notes because we won't go right through it but it covers things like um well the terms are basically to see if it's still fit for purpose and the sorts of things it's looking at is approvals operation how people think about um service quality uh, and compliance and enforcement so people have already responded to that we've got this review in a couple of phases we're still in phase one at the moment and the people are. Some people may have attended the consultations that have already happened and responded to um, those consultations with the submission. And then from July to December, there's a development of a consultation regulation impact statement, which looks at the impacts of any regulatory changes under consideration. And then in 2020, we get to people's opportunity to feed back on the regulatory impact statement, and then the Education Council will decide if and what those changes might be. And we're talking about implementation implementation of any changes in 2021 to 2022. So it's probably a fairly similar time frame to the last review. Um, and again, we'll include the links because there are still ways that you can be involved and you'll be reading the regulatory impact statement like it's a page turner and it will be very exciting. But it's always the detail on those things that I think are very important to drill down into and, and have a look at and see if there's any stealth like changes that are going on in, within that.
0: So that's the. You know what I hate about it, Liam? You know what i hate about it
2: i think you're going to tell me yeah of course Go. You tell
0: <laughs> i hate two things one is that they never say <laughs> of which course.
1: of, <laughs> of course. course
0: yeah they never say which regs are batshit crazy you know because some regs are just like some of the individual regulations are written so badly or are so hard to, to follow and they refer you to another rig and then you have to go back to another rig and then back to the front that you just think we actually just need someone to rewrite this in a in better, you know, yeah, actually, in a better scary. style. Very true because
2: I I recall, you know, with the regs, however many pages there are of them, it was kind of like a little bit of regulatory bingo, wasn't it, to try and sort of look at how things kind of wove in behind each other and what what kind of
0: made something else go awry. So you're right. Yeah, I was trying to work out who actually needed teachers when a few weeks ago. And I honestly, like, I had markers and pens and, you know, things on the screen I'm going, okay, so if regulation blah, blah, blah applies, then this doesn't. Mm. And at the end of it I couldn't work it out. And I'm someone who knows the regs fairly yeah, well. Yeah, look, if you're struggling. And if I'm yeah, struggling, then there's a problem. And mm. there's some regs that affect family daycare that are really bad. Like, there's one that says that... For every 15 um, uh, or 25 educators, you have to have one coordinator. But it doesn't say whether those educators are part-time, full-time or anything, you know, like it doesn't define what an educator means. And so you've got different states applying that different ways. And yet in some parts of the regs, there's things like, you know, you will have nine-tenths of a, a teacher who only wears a red sock on one leg and a blue sock on the other leg and has to, do you know what I mean? Like they're really tightly defined. And then in the other one it says, yeah, you've got to have one coordinator of 15 educators.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's like this doesn't, you know, like they're not written by the same regs draft. Person and whoever wrote the initial regs would be in horror about these regs that have been shoved in there, and we just kind of need someone to have a, you know, a constitutional or a what are they called regulatory lawyer to have a a bit of a redrafting, and so I want us all to be able to put up our hands and say I really hate this regulation,
1: not yeah. because
0: I hate what it's saying, but because. I hate the fact that I can't understand what it's telling me to do. Oh, Okay, so you you want those highlighted. Well, I guess that could be some of the feedback that you give. Well, except we didn't get a chance because they said to us, these are the things we're considering changing. What do you think about this? You're allowed to say, you're allowed to go outside of that. Not well, you... it, didn't, it didn't feel like we had that opportunity and suddenly, bingo, we're up to regulatory impact statement. Yeah, well, you could have gone outside it in a mighty big submission or something. Well,
2: maybe I was sleeping at that point. Well, it, it could have been. The other thing too, though, within this is that they're dealing with some of the issues that kind of sit outside of the, um, those uh, statements and also the terms of reference like um, the, the um, Royal Commission, the institutional responses. Like the, some of those things are also sitting off to the side of this and looking at how organisations, how they, they might need to respond to that as well. So I think that's kind of a an, an, an very important um, additional consideration in this too.
1: We'll be right back. Are you listening to our exploring the nqs series if you're a supporter of the show on patreon you're not only helping to keep the show going you'll also get access to an extra podcast where i explore every element of the national quality standard one at a time it's a great way to get yourself up to speed with the nqs uh, consider different perspectives and grow your own professional development each episode is only 15 minutes just head to earlyeducationshow.com and click support the show in the menu to sign up and start listening for as little as one dollar a month. All right, back to the show. Excellent. Well, do we have any sort of wild speculation well, about what this review could mean? Yeah, in terms could mean? of
2: speculation, I don't know whether it's speculation, but I think there's two really important things to consider here. The first one oh is the Oh, my God, work- there's two? Two there's, two, there's two. I just wanted to be thematic with you. <laughs> um, the first, of course, is workforce So keeping an eye on anything, when I said, you know, those things by stealth, I think it's also sort of considering what it is that might be suggested around workforce and who is submitting on those particular issues because we want to ensure that um, we uphold all of the essential elements of the NQF around um, workforce and qualifications. And the second thing is a... Is an operational thing, the implementation of the system and how that works um, in terms of assessment and rating. We've come up against quite a few assessment and rating issues. And I think there's some activity from organisations around assessment and rating and what that looks like in across um, Australia. But it's Thinking, I always felt like the, the National quality Framework would live and die on the assessment and rating process, and that was one area that we really needed to get right. Now, that said, I don't think that we've ever really gotten that right, and that's something to keep an eye on as well. So they'd be the two, two um, big issues. I don't know that they'd be big surprises, but just the issues to keep an eye on.
0: I think you're very right with the workforce thing. I think that given that the projected shortage of early childhood teachers, mm. I think there's going to be a lot of people saying that it's undoable. Mm. Yeah, and I
2: think that that's something that goes beyond the scope of this, um, where the workforce short, the the issues around workforce. We everybody has to get active on those, and we have to be researching, and we have to be you know, personally active in this space because otherwise it's going to be too easy to lose those, um, the strength of those parts of the regulation. I just think because. they're already
0: gone, Leanne. I think they're I sure don't... to come back and say, yeah. You know like extend the amount of time before you've got to have a teacher, etc.
2: Well, yeah, that may be, and I think this is the time where we have to tie ourselves to an early childhood teacher and refuse to eat and, you know, do all of those things to protest against <laughs> any sort of changes.
0: Hang on, you two are teachers. Do I really have to tie myself to one of you? <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: and who knows? Like that, there could be, you know... $350,000 salaries for teachers. Liam, where are we going to go?
1: Well, is the, 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 the cost of that still that Lisa has to tie herself to me? Because I mean, that's. It. Look, Mate,
0: I would tie but, myself to oh, look, either of you if it meant that teachers were getting $350,000 a year.
1: <laughs> that's yeah. a small price to pay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you for that, Leanne. So we're going to go on to the last one now. This one um, sort of has the least amount of uh, sort of public information and least amount of things to do about it at the moment. So I'm going to whip through it pretty quickly. We are probably going to spend a bit of time on this review in the speculation section. I know Lisa's going to be wanting to jump in during (laughs) my uh, during my history and background because there's this one is a bit like an iceberg. There's this tiny little bit. Over the top. And then there's a whole bunch oh, sitting underneath What a good way of explaining it. Very in Thank you. I was working on that. Um, that's all <laughs> my research was, was developing that metaphor. And we like it. Yeah. Um, So one thing uh, people say, look, I I would imagine if you're a regular listener to the show, you're an active and engaged advocate and activist, you are probably already aware about the NQF review and the Universal Access Funding Review. One thing that people may not be as aware of is that a CEQA itself uh, is uh, is undergoing a review uh, by the Education Council as well. Um, It was announced uh, late last year in December 2018. There's been very little sort of publicly announced about it since then, but... um, and this is, again, we're going to do a bit of a back-to-basics things here. Almost everyone will probably know a CEQA and its role and sort of how it was set up. But I think it's worth just for uh, just, just to make sure we're being as clear as possible right from the start. So um, a CEQA is an independent statutory authority, which means it's sort of um, you know set up and, and funded by government, but is separate to government and can advise government and can be um, independent in how it provides that advice, um, its role is prescribed and described in the national law, so it's really embedded in in, in the NQF. Um, its key responsibilities are... are uh, there are a few things, but the, the main things we would think about from a practice perspective are the training of authorised officers who work in the state and territories, uh, managing the NQA IT system, managing qualification checks and requirements, um, doing second-tier reviews, so if a service is unhappy with the rating they've been given by their regulatory authority, and managing excellent ratings as well. They do a, b- a bunch of other stuff. But they're the key things they do. Um, They report to the Education Council that we sort of talked about before, and they have these, I was looking through the annual report, and they have these um, fun things called Education Council Letters of Expectation, which is like this big sort of stern thing. These are the things you will be working on for the next little while, which were quite fun to read. now, the funding is where it gets a bit tricky and complicated. I think I sent a desperate cry for, for help to, to Lisa via email earlier this week, but we, we, we won't get too into the weeds of the funding. But um, the important thing to know is that the majority of the funding is provided um, by the federal Australian government and the states and territories, and that there uh, was a national partnership agreement for the national quality agenda, and we're going to be getting back to that soon. Um, but they get, um, or at least um, the last time they reported on the financials, which was for the 2018 period, they got a bit over seven Million from the federal government and a bit over nine million from the states and territories, and they also collect some fees um, from from various things like um, uh, second tier reviews, cost money, and, and and there's and there's a whole bunch of other very small charges, but they get very that that's not a huge revenue stream for them. Um, so that's the very big whistle stop tour of a CEQA. Um This review um, is is an interesting one. So it was announced by the Education Council. Um, uh, last year, so in terms of what the uh, the terms of reference uh, are describing about uh, what it's been doing, there are nine terms of reference. I'm not going to go into them point by point. What I thought I might do is just pull out a couple of things that I think are probably most interesting for us to discuss. Um, so they will be it'll it'll include a qualitative assessment on the quality and impact on a work. works. So that'll mean you know getting uh, you know qualitative feedback from people about how they think a sequo's going. Um, our old friend regulatory burden is back. So they'll be looking at whether, um, you know, the impact of regulatory burden on services that, that sort of effect uh, that is affected by a CEQA. Um, another interesting one possible overlaps between a sequa and the state and territory regulators. And then uh, these four words, I think, are probably the ones that are probably going to strike the most fear into us, which is pot, uh, potential alternative funding models. Yeah. So they'll be looking at some things like that. So um, on the face of it, this just seems like, you know, of course a CEQA can be reviewed. Why wouldn't you? Um, you know, it's been in place for quite a little while, but I think one of the things we're going to talk about um, is that there's, there's quite a lot sitting underneath that. And um, one of the things to really know here, the, the bit, probably the big bit of context for this review, is that in the, the federal uh, government budget in 2018, uh, the federal government pulled out of the, uh, the, Nat, the, the agreement for the National Quality Agenda. So basically pulled out a huge bit of money that they gave to the states and territories uh, to help fund a sequence quality operation uh, and, uh, well, you know, and, so that and money to has fund just gone.
0: the regulation by the states it wasn't just, for indeed, the, yeah. So a sequel.
1: yeah. So so this was a big signal that the government was sort of saying, well, look, where we're kind of, I mean, probably. Linking back to our first uh, discussion about preschool funding, the government, the federal government, as it stands at the moment, just seemed to be over these kind of agreements full stop. Um, I think we can probably, there's there's examples of that outside of early childhood as well, but they they really don't want to be getting into these joint funding arrangements with the states. Um, But the second one was uh, when they were sort of called out on this funding uh, being removed, they sort of said, well, you know, the NQF was due to roll out between 2012 and 2020, and we're getting to the end of that. So, you know, we, we don't really see the need to. Continue funding with that, so that's kind of the big things to think about. The the big the rampant speculation we're going to get into here, and I don't know if we've talked about this specifically on the podcast before, is but there are some indications uh, both in this review and in statements, you know, after the the ending of the NPA and the National Quality Agenda, that there is a real risk here that you know, CQA itself as a uh, as an organisation um, is at risk of having you know its funding cut further, or even if we look at um, you know whether the government, the federal government in particular still sees a role for a sequa full stop. I mean, that's kind of what's, you know, there, there are discussions happening in the sector around that that very thing. So if we think about a review at this point in time, um, there's some real sort of danger signs for a CEQA here, aren't they, Lisa? Yeah, I
0: think there is. And I think, you know, a number of the states made statements once the federal government took away the... Um, National Quality Agenda funding and said, we'll continue to fund our bit of it, right? So what they meant was they'd continue to regulate services and, you know, do assessment and rating. But they didn't actually, you know, as far as I know, no state said and will continue to contribute our bit towards a CEQA. And I think that some, you know, I remember the head of – the ex-head of the New South Wales – oh, sorry, I think she's still got a day or two more in the job, but the soon-to-be ex-head of the New South Wales regulator was speculating at, um, you know, a few months ago that, you know, maybe New South Wales should just go it alone. So if you've got someone saying that, then they're saying, we're not exactly sure of the value that a CEQA brings to us.
1: And I think that's if you sort of add up all the various things that we look at, some of those, and look, look, to be fair, I've highlighted particular things from the term of reference, but if we highlight some of those particular points and if we highlight recent funding decisions, one of the things that you could sort of say here is that the federal government is kind of saying, well, the state and territories have regulatory authorities anyway, why don't they just do this all themselves rather than have this overarching um, body that is sort of, you know, from their perspective, they they may argue is doing is is doing some overlap, but is also just extra money they don't want to spend. So basically, they're saying is why don't the states and territories just do this individually? And
0: if you look at, do, does anyone remember when Scott Morrison was our minister briefly? Sadly, when we were in social services, rather Lisa, than... you and I remember that warmly <laughs> and lovingly.
1: How good is jobs for families?
0: And I don't remember that warmly and lovingly and neither do you. I remember our tears. When I remember it, it was announced
2: on Christmas Eve or something or the week before Christmas. And I think you and I said, what's the most unlikely thing that could possibly happen in this ministerial shake-up? Scott Morrison would be our minister.
0: <laughs> that is what we thought was the most unlikely thing. And suddenly, there he suddenly was, our arrived. minister. Mm-hmm. But to give him credit, he had enough now to look at the legislation and went, This is all stitched up. It's all so strong in legislation that we can't get out of assessment and rating. We can't get out of all of these processes. We can't get out of, you know, the. Everything that the quality agenda stands for, all the regulations, etc. I think that the cetera. only
2: reason—I
0: think that's very interesting—but sorry,
2: and I don't want to take this off track. But the only reason he found that out was because he
0: wanted that to happen. Oh, of course it was, but yeah. To give him his credit, he discovered that he couldn't do it. He couldn't take away the red tape from childcare because yeah, the red tape was written well and truly packaged around the whole thing. But it wouldn't be that hard to excise the bits to do with the CEQA from the regulations of the national law. It just means taking one chapter neatly out and then they don't kind of appear in the rest of the places. So they've certainly said they'll fund it until 2020, but have offered no further funding after that. And so they may just well say, well, no, you know. This is excessive, you know, um, big government. We don't like big government. We're much for smaller government in line with our politics. So there you go, circle.
1: So is there – again, I love to occasionally play devil's advocate on the show, but is there a good – so – the states and territories do a huge amount of the um, the, the face-to-face, day-to-day work around um, embedding the national quality framework, assessment and rating, all that kind of stuff. So, so you know, the, the average service out there, most of their engagement would be with their state and territory uh, regulator anyway. Um, what's the... Uh, why would we want... So, I guess, what's the argument for a CEQA to still exist in that way and for there to be this overarching national... Um, sort of, you know, uh, framework that sort of oversees that?
0: I think there's a few things. One is that at the moment they're the only body that's doing any kind of resourcing or professional development of the sector. Secondly, they're the ones that um, ensure that there's national consistency between how, you know, state X and state wise applies the regulations and the law and assesses under the national quality framework they also do the registers and without the registers my life would be so difficult because <laughs> be I hell. spend so much time in those registers.
2: <laughs> but it's it's um, also kind of breaks down the, the um, you know, it feels to me like, well, this might be a really bad comparison, but a Sikh was like the the president and the states have got these little fiefdoms, I suppose, and I think it stops that happening to a to a greater degree. That's my perspective.
1: Yeah, I no, I agree, I agree. There's always going to be nonsense between the states and territories always want to do things in their own way, and there's plenty of evidence that you know consistency is, is an ongoing challenge. But um, you know, imagine if a sequel wasn't there, at least training all the authorised officers and providing that guidance. But the other thing is, and, and this is where I think you know, conservative governments in particular hate this argument because it's, it's extra money they have to spend on this additional national thing. But it's actually really important, and this was going right back to, sort of looping back to the start of our conversation with that young uh, Kevin Rudd, the idea of having a national approach to this is really important because, you know, we are one Mm. country and that there should be an expectation for children that they can, you know, walk into any service under the NQF in Australia and expect, you know, particular things to be upheld about their rights and their learning and their wellbeing and that making sure that the states and territories can't go too far out on their own and do crazy things like, you know, change ratios to a ridiculous way or X, Y, Z, that there is this kind of, you know, it's not necessarily something you can... um, quantify, but it's this idea we're all in this together and yeah. Australia as a nation has agreed we're going to do this together. There is actually something about I, I it. I agree,
2: Liam, and I think I'm going to say, you know, one of the objectives was the national system. And we've, we've still got, we don't have a completely national system because we've still got some of the, you know, transitions and savings and sometimes we have kind of breakaway stuff that happens. To me, while a secret exists, it feels like yes, we can pursue that national agenda.
0: And that's one of the reasons why I think that it will continue to still exist because at the moment, Jackie Wilson, who's the Deputy Secretary of the Education and well, Early Childhood and Childcare Care Section of the um, Department of Education nationally, is still on a secret board member. Mm. So I think if the federal government was about to withdraw their support from that she wouldn't still be in that position so Mm -hmm. i think i think that although they've only funded it till 2020 i think they'll continue to fund it yeah i don't know when Mm, i don't know when her term expires does anyone else does anyone remember when she went on it no i do not
1: that's a level of nerddom that I don't even think this podcast could. If we can if we can pull out board terms for the individual board members of a that's a level of nerddom I think. Well you, this you could,
2: could almost from the um, not necessarily for Jackie Wilson but you could for uh, a couple of other sequa board members because it was in the communique from the education council. That's a good oh.
1: point December 2018.
0: All right. Oh, well, well, we're nerdier than we you, thought. You reckon? she...
1: Actually, we're probably just, about as nerdy no, as we thought. No,
0: longer than that. What's
2: longer
1: than that? Hey, Jackie's been oh, on there right. longer, but we were Yeah, yeah. Was I was just talking.
2: Ones. I think you. I think you lost track of
1: what we were saying there. Is that? It was
2: googly. Googly. Oh no, right.
1: It's better than, better than tweeting well, during the um, recording.
2: As you may or may not know, Jackie Wilson joined the uh, t- school's funding task force with DEWA from 12 months in the Department of the... You know, anyway, sorry, in
1: 2013. <laughs> that's, that's impressive yes, knowledge. I'm there. just well like, well Lisa,
2: I can Google too. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Well, that's our sort of whistle-stop tour and summary of those three reviews. Um, We'll include... Uh, this, the show notes for this one are going to be quite long. I think we've all sort of provided a, a bunch of different readings you can go out and find some more information about. Um, I think uh, the history of the podcast has been um, we we very much encourage people to engage with these processes. There's a really strong argument that you know this is this is advocacy and this is activism. It isn't always marching in the streets with placards, although that's very important. A lot of it is you know uh, making sure that uh, the voices of educators and professionals are heard in these reviews. And yes, they are slow, and yes, they are uh, bureaucratic, and yes the terms of reference are often, you know, wanna sort of make you pass out, but um they're definitely worth engaging Mm. with all right. Now before we wrap up for this episode, Leanne, you were fortunate enough to be at the ECA conference in Hobart, uh last week. Did you have a good time?
2: Great. It was great. Um I I hate to say it, it was nice that it was a little bit smaller because you could feel like you could see everybody, but there were some very interesting presentations and Peter Moss talked. And you know, it raised the issue around neoliberalism and what quality actually means, and Gunilla Dalberg And I, there were just, it was just really fantastic. I really enjoyed it. But one thing that was so much fun was to meet some of our early education show listeners who came up to say hi. That was so nice.
0: And was there a, a lot of
1: them?
2: Come there on. Were quite, there were quite a few actually, Lisa.
1: Did you have to be, like, taken out the back of the hotel, Leanne, just to, like, avoid yeah. the the streams of people?
2: Uh, well, no, not exactly. When I say that there are quite a few people, I guess there were probably ten people who came up and said, but ten, ten is good." I'm gorgeous, happy with man. that. <laughs> There's people like Alexis from Lismore and there was, um, oh, Julia from you know regional New South Wales, and there's well, we'll never know whether those people really listen or not because they can't put their hands up now and say that they weren't listening. Can they? But they, <laughs> it was really it was <laughs> so nice. It was just really nice, and uh, and I missed the two of you at the conference. It made me sad that you weren't Aww. there with me. Aww. But it was but it was good. There was some there was some provocative um, talks and that people had to think hard about issues so that was great very good
1: well i've got to say leanne i had wonderful things from multiple people about your presentations oh that's
2: well. nice so well that's nice thanks for to people who came and spent time and listened and had a good hard think that was um that was great
1: You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs, and Liam McNicholas, and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jarzar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edushow Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time. Hey, um,
0: Leanne,
1: We're not at all, just are we?
0: because you didn't think I could do it, or maybe it was you, Liam, that didn't think I could do it, appointed from 6th of October 2014. <laughs>
2: I, t- I didn't say that you couldn't do it. I said that you were distracted doing it. So, what's the term
0: then? How long's the term for? So, two years. Um, it's renewed, I suppose. So I, so, I think you get three years and another three.
2: Three and three. Yeah.
1: Well, that's twenty twenty. Oh, that's All scary, right. well, we, isn't why, it? What? <laughs> This is this is now riveting, you know, broadcast as as we listen to Lisa Google. Please. So why don't we? We'll leave it there and we'll uh, we'll be, we'll maybe we'll this can be the cliffhanger for our next episode. We'll we'll confirm the board appointment time. This is what everyone will be hanging on for the Stop next fortnight.
0: Stop <laughs>